You're listening to a live service from Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Will you turn with me this morning to Exodus chapter number 23? And we're going to look at verses uh, 28, starting in verse number 28, and read down from there. Exodus chapter number 23, starting in verse number 28, and we'll read down to verse number 33. I'm cutting right in the middle of this story, but for, for the sake of time, I feel it's needful to do so. Exodus chapter 23, verse number 28. And I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before thee. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. And I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea even into the sea of the Philistines, and from the desert unto the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. Will you back up to verse number 30? And the Lord says, by little and little, I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. And I want to minister this morning that thought, that title, by little and little. Will you bow your head and will you help me pray? Father, I love you this morning. And I thank you, God, for your grace and for your mercy and your love. I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit that we've already felt, Lord. I thank you for the lives and the hearts, God, that you have touched already. I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you would anoint our ears, God, to hear, our hearts, God, to receive your word, and anoint my lips, God, to help me to rightly divide this great word of truth. Lord, I thank you in advance for what you are about to do, but Lord, and I'm careful, Lord, uh, in this message to give you all of the praise, all of the glory, and all of the honor, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen. I want to recap just real quickly. I got to say something that's just in my spirit. It's got nothing to do with my text, but let me say this real quickly, and then I feel at liberty that I can move on. I have the privilege, and I say privilege, not in a way that I'm glad that people's got needs, but I have the privilege of praying for a lot of different needs, different people, call or message throughout the week, and we, we have needs that we take to the Lord nightly. In fact, I have two different prayer texts, people that in the church, and we have a prayer time, and we set aside, and we join together, and we pray for different things. You know, there are some big needs in this church this morning, and in fact, the Lord doesn't rate your need big to little. Your need is significant as any other need. I said it last week, but you know, Sister Destiny, uh, some of her prayer requests in her class, she has the little kids as as some of the kids, they want to pray for their doggy or their cat. But you know that's important to the Lord? If it's important to them, it's important to God. And then we go all the way on to what needs are we call big needs, where we know that if God does not intervene, that that need won't get met. Amen? Got nothing to do with my message, but I want to tell you something this morning. 
I will be the last one to make your situation little. I won't belittle your situation. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the nights that you have sat and cried. I don't know the fear that's overcome you in your home. I have no idea of what you're dealing with and what you're going through. I pray on Sunday mornings, every Sunday morning, God, I have no idea who's about to walk through those double doors, and I don't know what need that they're carrying. But what I do know is that every need that comes through them doors, you are able to meet. This morning, while I'll be the last one to give you or to belittle your situation, I will also be the last one to give you a sense of false hope. I will stand here and I will tell you this morning with all of my heart, and I'll give an account for what I'm about to say. I believe God can heal the sick. I believe God can deliver the addict. I believe God can restore the family. I believe God can deliver from religion. I believe that the Lord is able to save your child. I believe that God is able to save your spouse. I believe the text when the Bible says all things are possible to them that believe. But I want to tell you this morning, I stand before you this morning promising you nothing. But there is one thing I can promise you. While I can't promise you that God is going to heal you or going to deliver in the way that we think He should, I can promise you this morning that you do not have to die and go to a devil's hell. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. For the Lord is not willing that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. I can tell you this morning that while we're all, in a sense, my brother-in-law said it, we're all, we're all going to die. We're all going to perish if the Lord don't return. You do not have to die without the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all terminal. But we're all guaranteed salvation if we believe upon the Lord Jesus. And that blessed hope is enough. I said that blessed hope is enough for us. Amen. Let me get back to my text. Last week. I went from Romans chapter 7 and verse number 18, and I want to bring it back up. I'm talking about little by little. I've not left my text. Romans chapter 7 and verse number 18, the Apostle Paul brought up a problem that he was having that all of us, all, if you live for God very long at all, we've all had the same problem. He said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. That is the Apostle Paul giving us, dissecting our flesh and our fleshly heart. I know that is in me dwelleth no good thing. For to will or the desire is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. This is a man that loved God. This is a man that wanted to please God. This is a man that wanted to be acceptable unto God. But he found himself failing over and over and over again. The word performance here literally means or perform. It means to accomplish. He's telling us when it came to the Lord, I didn't know how to accomplish what God was asking of me. I'm running through it because I don't want to spend a lot of time. But in Romans 12 and 1, he telling us what we as believers should desire to be accomplished in our own heart. He said we should want to be holy. We should want to be acceptable. We should not want to be conformed unto this world, but we should desire to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. When the apostle Paul looked at the demands of the Lord and tried within himself to match up to the demands of God, he says, I don't know how to do it. 
I don't know how to perform or accomplish what God is asking me to accomplish in my life. The Bible says, and I took you there last week a little bit, give you a few examples in regards to a lot of uh, believers, most believers are trying to accomplish this out of works. We're trying to see what do I need to do to be holy? What do I need to do in order to earn the grace of God? What do I need to do in order to be acceptable? And the fact of the matter is, it's not about what you do, it's about what you believe. And if you will believe right and place your faith in Jesus and what He did on the cross, of Calvary, the power of the Holy Spirit will begin to work in your life and what you do will back up and line up behind what you believe. Romans 8 and 8, he says this, and I want you to see it. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They that are in the flesh cannot please. Look, you've been saved for a little while and you've caught yourself getting in the flesh and doing something stupid. And we know automatically that action didn't please God. Amen. They that are in the flesh, they that are in the flesh, they, they, they cannot please God. Another one I want you to see, I want you to see this. Let me back up and say this. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. I want you to notice the word please. Now let's go to 1 Thessalonians, and I may give you the wrong text, but 1 Thessalonians 4, and well, let's try that. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk, and here's our word again, and to please God, so you would abound more and more. The life of the believer is should have a desire to please God. We want to please God. may not please you all the time, but I want to please God. I want to be pleasing before the Lord. The word please literally means to be in agreement with God. See, if you get mad at your boss and jump out in the flesh and tell him what you think, you, you do have an agreement with God. Amen? And he made me mad. He gave me, a different, he gave me a different time schedule. He put me on third shift, and now I'm wondering what car he's driving because I'm wanting to cut his brake line, and that's not agreeable with God. He's, that's not pleasing God. You understand what I'm saying? I didn't please God because I'm not on the same page as God. And so, here's a, here's a lesson. I'll jump to this and jump right back because I'm preaching to me for just a moment. This may not be for you, but it's going to be for me. The text said, James said, we need to be quick to hear and slow to speak. And nobody wants to hear that message. Amen. I'll, I'll move on. Please, God, agree with God. The word please here means to agree with God, but it comes from a root word that literally means uh, to be in suspense of the things of God. I'm going to agree with God. Now watch this. I've got to teach you this and I'll move on. But I want to be in suspense with the things of God. If we look how to perform, this is what I know. I know that the way to perform, and I'm going to reinforce this in Exodus, but I know the way to perform is I place my faith in Jesus and what he has done for me on the cross of Calvary. And the moment that my faith is recognized that the Lord sees my faith there, the person of the Holy Spirit 
has permission and latitude to begin to work in my heart to change me and to bring me into the things of God. I want you to know this morning, God the Holy Ghost cannot work in your life automatically. He can only work within the perimeters of what Jesus has done on the cross of Calvary. And without proper faith in Jesus and what He did on the cross of Calvary, the Holy Spirit is handcuffed. Can I just tell you this morning, you don't want the Holy Spirit handcuffed because if he's handcuffed let me tell you let me tell you what all is being I'm going to tell you like they told me at the post office when I started working as an RCA they told me all of my benefits I want you to look at this wall all of the benefits as an RCA they're written right here he said I'm going to give you a moment to read all of them let me tell you what God the Holy Spirit can do in your life if your faith is not in Jesus and what he did on the cross Okay, that didn't take very long because he can't work without a, without outside of what Jesus can do on the cross of Calvary. There's nothing written on that wall. Some of y'all still looking for words. Come on, they not there. There's nothing there. My benefits working for the post as an RCA. Ethan, Nathan, you can you can relate to that. They were nothing until you go full time. The Holy Spirit can do little to nothing. If our faith is not in Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary. The root word means to put in suspense. It literally means this. Let me put this together and get to my text. I got a long way to go. And, and I'm not, probably not going to get there. But it means this. When a person gives their heart and life to Jesus, and I'm talking about a true born again experience. When a person gives their heart and life to Jesus, born again, the power of the Holy Spirit literally comes inside of you. And when he comes inside of you, he takes your heart. The word regeneration means he's going to regene you. He's going to completely regene you. He takes you and baptizes you inside of Jesus Christ, which breaks the power of sin over your life. After he baptizes you into Jesus, into his death, he baptizes you into burial, burying the old man. Ha, oh, burying, I want y'all to catch that, note that in your mind. He buries the old man, and then he baptizes you in the resurrection, raising up a new man. Now let me tell you something, if he buried the old man and raised the new man, how come a lot of believers think, I've got saved, but I don't got to change the way I live? Because I don't mean this in a boastful way, and I'm not trying to uh, use pride here, but let me just say it like this. The reason they say that is because they're wrong. That's not biblical salvation. Biblical salvation is a change that takes place in the heart and the life of the believer. All right, now watch this. When I got up after I got saved, I gave my heart to the Lord. Remember when you got saved, you're excited about the things of God. I got, a, I got a fresh new start. I got a fresh outlook on life. And here's what the word please God, it means. It literally means to throw you in suspense. In other words, it means if God can do that, if he can literally, I used it last week or the week before and she wasn't here, but I'm going to use it this week. A sister Renee walks into a church and a sitting on the back row gives her heart and life to the Lord and automatically God, he takes away the desire 
desire for drugs and begins to change her life before she ever got up. When she got up, she walks out and she begins to delete phone numbers of people that she don't need to be talking to anymore because something happened on the back row of that church. God the Holy Spirit said, I must go to right here to meet with her this morning. He changed her life. And guess what? When she left out of there, she was thinking, if God can do that, I wonder what he can do next. It put her in suspense. If God can save me, then wonder what he can do next. If God can change my attitude, I wonder what he can do next. If God can change my temper, I wonder what he can do next. If God can heal me, deliver me, and restore me. Let me tell you something this morning. If God can take your black heart, wash it in red blood, and bring it out white as snow, there is nothing that God cannot do for you. There's nothing. And when it talks about being, God, I'm gonna, I want God to be pleased with me. I ought to walk and to please God. I'm going to walk in the Spirit. I'm going to live daily for the Lord. And I'm going to set in suspense of God. What are you going to do for me today? That's what it means. I like that better than you did. But that's pretty good. There should be a state of suspense in my life. Constantly awaiting. Now. Lord, if you can regene us, if you can save us, then he can do anything. There's nothing going on. Listen, there's nothing going on in our life that he can't do. Romans chapter 7, and I'll get to my text, is a firsthand story testimony of a man that started out with his faith in Jesus and God began to do work in his life. And all of a sudden, he moved his faith to his own efforts, his own works, and he wasn't seeing a change going on. And this is the problem that we addressed. He didn't know how to perform. And let me tell you something. A lot of believers that are taking a man's word for it, that don't go home and study or don't allow the truth to bear witness in their own heart, then they are guilty of the same thing. They don't know how to perform. Much of the church will tell you you need to read more. Much of the church will tell you you need to do this. Much of the church will tell you you need to do that. I sat and talked to a fellow yesterday when we was just talking and visiting. I, I asked him a question. He said he was telling me uh, about why that he believed what he believed. And he told me how. I said, well, let me ask you this. If somebody comes up to you and has a problem in their heart, in their life, and they ask you how to be changed, what do you tell them? And I started getting a list of, of works and a list of rules. And, well, you need to read his Bible more. And I said, okay, well, what if he can't read? Well, you know, it's confession, speaking it. Okay, well, what if he's got like the guy down the road and he can't talk? What do you tell him? Do you tell these people that they're left out of the things of God and God can't work in their life because they're, they've got an, a disability? And I said, he said, well, what are you getting at? What I'm getting at is this. I place my faith in Jesus and what he did. On the cross of Calvary and the power of the Holy Spirit will begin to change my life. That's what I'm getting at. It's not about what you do. It's about what you believe. It's not about what you do. It's about what you believe. What are you trusting in? What are you depending in? Are you depending in your own effort, your own work? Or are you depending in what Jesus has done on the cross of Calvary? I'm not tearing apart works. I'm putting it in the rightful place. All of these things should build your faith in Jesus. Don't tell me. Don't tell somebody they're holy because of the way they dress. Is that okay? 
You're not holy because of the way you dress. I believe in modesty. If it needs to be covered up, cover it up. You're just as guilty as the one that's looking. I'm being blunt, but I'm being for real. But you're not holier than thou because you've covered every bit of your flesh. It's not about what we do. It's about what we believe. And if we believe right in Jesus and what he did on the cross, what we do will line up according to what we believe. Now, the process is stopped. When he moved his faith from Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary, the process of God changing him stopped. Now watch this. There's been several people. I know I'm teaching, but listen to me just a little bit. There's been several people that were zealous for God, loved God with all of their heart. They come in, they got saved. No doubt that they're saved, justified, declared not guilty. And then they moved and tried to live for God by their performance or by their works. And here's what happened. They didn't see anything being changed anymore, and that zealous feeling that they had in the beginning began to fade away. And what the devil does is he starts to build discouragement up in your heart and your life because you're not seeing the results or I'm not seeing the results that I want to see. And as he builds up discouragement in me, then I begin to question that first salvation experience. Did I really get saved or not? I'm preaching good. Did I really get saved or not? And when you begin to question, do you understand that we are on the verge of starting to not believe that we got saved? And the only way that he can get you is to get you to quit believing. So if we resort to works or law, then we start getting discouraged and then we start to question and we either will remain miserably saved. Look, you can be saved and be miserable. I got to get up every morning and I got to do this and I got to read so many chapters and I got to look. No, all these things, <laughs> all these things should be a desire. Do it out of desire. Do it out. I said it before. I'm going to say it again. I'd rather get my wife flowers any day but Valentine's Day. She's thinking, you don't get them no day. Reading her mind. She's expecting it. Feel like you have to on Valentine's Day and you're dreading it. Then they mark the prices way up. You're thinking, for a daisy? Come on. Is it laced in gold? Because I'll take it. But when we do things out of desire, then we understand joy unspeakable and full of glory. Then we understand a more abundant life. <laughs> Oh, it's coming together for somebody this morning. All right. The how-to is by faith. There's nothing in our life that Christ cannot change by simple faith and what we do on the cross of Calvary. Now, let me move to our text and move to another problem. Here's where we're at. You've got the down how to live for God. We understand it's by faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary. If you don't understand it, we'll keep coming because we're going to keep preaching it, and you'll eventually get it or you get sick and tired of hearing it. We want to move you. We want to move you up to an altar. We don't want you to sit comfortable in sin. Amen. Here are things changing in my relationship. Now that things are changing in my relationship and I'm growing in the Lord, the process of growing in the Lord, if we would amen and be honest with this, is anybody experienced the process of growing in the Lord and being changed is just way too slow for my speed. It's way too slow. 
We're just, just like we're crawling along. I would move to a vehicle uh, example, but nobody likes my vehicle examples. But, but the process of growing in the Lord, <laughs> that's right, I'll say it. Putting our faith in Jesus is like jumping in a new Ford truck. Ain't that right, Justin? <laughs> and now we're moving along. But for many of us, it's, the process is too slow. We want a microwave change. Just pop it in there and push start. I'm starving now. I'm McDonald's hungry. That's hungry. I need a microwave change. And God wants us to depend upon Him. He wants us to learn to lean upon Him. He wants us to trust Him. And if we're having to pray, if we're having to depend upon Him, then our relationship is growing. If it don't happen immediately, then our relationship is growing. The Bible says, if you say unto this mountain, be removed, it shall be moved. If we walk to every mountain and say, mountain, get out of my way, and it walked away, or it was moved, do you know how puffed up you would be? Sometimes the Lord has us to stand and stare at a mountain for a while. While we're standing there staring at it, we're, we're thinking, God, what's going on? Lord, I need you. I can't do this on my own. We're praying and we're growing. There's our time and then there's God's time. And we have trouble getting God's time to line up with my time. Amen. Four or five of us do. We have trouble trying to make the two come together. I use the example of the three Hebrew children. I don't know about you, but they stood before Nebuchadnezzar and they said, listen, our God is able to deliver us, and I'd love to have my faith to grow to a place where I could say this, but even if he don't, we're not going to bow to your golden image. And do you know that God allowed them to stand in that congregation to the place that they brought the golden image out? They blowed the trumpet. They began to, with the harp, everybody else bowed down. And you got three Hebrew children standing there. Now I'm going to talk about timing. To me, that would have been a good time for God to say, whoa, to step in, knock Nebuchadnezzar off, put water on the fire, whatever it took. But God didn't do that. He waited till they come. They got him. They brought him in front of Nebuchadnezzar. How come you didn't bow? We're not going to bow. All right, we'll turn the fire up seven times hotter. Had soldiers to take them over and throw them into the fire. See, I, I just, uh, can I just be plain and not be super spiritual with you? I'd rather not go through the fire. Is that okay? I'd rather skip that part. Lord, just let Nebuchadnezzar go on and give his heart to you and get saved. And then everybody would know that you're the Lord, and I won't have to go through a fire. I'd rather not. Okay, I'll stand by myself. But he waited until they took him to the edge of the fire. Listen, it ain't fun when you're having to go through the fire. But I want you to know that God, standing on this ground, is still God in the fire. Amen? And God is using situations. Listen to me. I know I'm teaching. I'm slowing down. God is using and will use situations to cause us to depend upon Him. Because if you don't ever have a situation to make you depend upon Him, you will never learn to trust Him. And we got to learn to trust God. 
So while we're, we're looking at this, we, we don't see uh, what God is using. We don't see what God is doing in that moment and in that time. But here's what I want you to know. While God is using a trial or a situation in your own life, and it's taken a long time to do it, God is over here moving on your family. God is over here dealing with a lost loved one. God is over here dealing with your children. God is over here preparing you a better job. God is back here behind the scenes moving uh, on a family need that you've got. Listen, while we can't see what God is doing, rest assured, God knows best. And if we'll trust Him, if we'll trust Him, God will move in the direction He needs to do. A lot of times we need to reprioritize our own heart because we want what we want and not what God wants. But God won't waste a trial. What the devil meant for evil in your life, listen, what the devil means for evil in your life today, God can make it good. God can make it good. Now let's look at our text. Chapter, or look at verse number 28 first. Chapter 23, verse 28, and I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before thee. I guess, let me do a little background, and we'll get right back at this scripture, just to bring us to where we're at. God reminds them here in this text that he's got a plan. Somebody might need to be reminded this morning that God has still got a plan. He's still got a plan for your life. When we look at this, God is reminding them he's still got a plan. My plan is to bring you into the promised land. I want you to see this. I want you to see what God has already proven to them. Let's look back just a second. God has proven. They were well on their journey. They had already crossed the Red Sea. The Red Sea had already been parted. They already crossed the Red Sea. They get to the Red Sea. The Lord before, let me back up and say this, before that he said, I'm going to lead you. There'll be a cloud by day and a fire by night. I'm going to lead you through this wilderness. And then he parted the Red Sea and they walked across to, on dry ground. They came to the bitter waters of Mara. The bitter waters of Mara deals with your emotions. You see, Luke 4 and 16 is not out of place. The Lord said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for the Father has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted. We got salvation as a priority, and then we got the Lord healing our emotions that pour out and controlling us as a number two priority. The bitter waters of Marah, they were made sweet by a tree that was cast in the midst of them. And then the Lord showed them, I will feed you. Here's some quail, and here's some manna. And then they got thirsty, and God told Moses, go and smite the rock. And the rock began to flow water. And then we see what they faced Amalek. And God took a bunch of farmers, and he made them into warriors. And they overcame Amalek because of their faith. And they, from the Red Sea all the way on to where they are at now, God has done nothing but prove himself over and 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 over again that I will make a way. And watch this. They get to verse number 28. Or they get to the time that God is going to bring them in to the promised land. Before this, they're murmuring, they're complaining. It reminds us, God has already proven himself to them. This is what he's proven. I'll deliver you. I will feed you, I will guide you, I will move obstacles, I will fight your battles for you. 
I will give you water. I will heal you. I will bound up your broken heart. He's already proven all of this to them. And now he says, I'm going to take you into the promised land. Can I just say this? But still the journey lasted 38 years longer than what it should have because they still had trouble believing God. I hope I have a witness in here this morning. I don't know what you're facing, maybe what you're going through, but I just want you to take a minute and look back in your life of what God has already done for you. Has he not been faithful to you? Has he not been good? Has he not been faithful to save? Has he not been faithful to your family? <laughs> I mean, you look back. Has God not already proven himself over and over? And you know the first time God can do an uncountable amount of things for us in our life and none of them we deserve. And the next time I get to a trial, I begin to doubt God because I forget everything that he's already done for me. We are such creatures of habit. We throw away everything that God has done. The journey lasted 38 years. They spent this time wandering in the wilderness. The wilderness life was a trial. And it's not there, listen. The trial was not there to destroy. The trial was there to teach them to live for the Lord. Now, I got to move on. I'm going to run out of time. But let me, I got a few more minutes. But what God has already done. The purpose of the wilderness is because we are so dependent upon self. Okay. Thank you all very much. I'm so dependent upon self. You know a weakness. But the only way Israel could cross over into the promised land was by believing God. The only way that we can be what God desires us to be it's by believing the Lord and keeping our faith and trusting him all by faith. Moses, their leader, was a type of the law. Here's law and works for you. I want you to hear this. Moses, their leader, was a type of the law. One disobedience kept him out of the promised land. One disobedience kept him out of the promised land. If one disobedience kept me out of the promised land, if I'm trying to live by law or works, I'll preach to me, I'll speak to me. I better throw my lot in with grace because I done messed up. Let me say this. You may not believe this, but it's the truth. I've had more than one mess up. Yeah, there's been two of them. Yeah. Listen. You don't have to amen me, but we're all a mess, and we need help. Moses was a type of the law. He couldn't go into the promised land, the inheritance. Joshua took over. Joshua was a type of faith, and he walked them into the promised land because we're not meant to inherit anything, any area of our heart by law and works. We're meant to inherit by faith and by faith alone. So little by little, as long as faith remained in Christ, we continue to be changed. Now, our text. I'll send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, Canaanite, and the Hittite that was in the land. Watch this. Brother West says it often, but don't ever put God in a box because God can use anything or anybody to do to accomplish his work. He used the hornets 
to drive out all of the ites. Can I say it like that? Out of the land. He used mosquitoes to drive me to the hills. Hey, he... God can use anything. We can't put God in a box. In verse number 29, he says this, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. Here's a great truth. I got to preach to me because I don't want nobody, I don't want nobody having to remove their halos this morning, but I want to tell you this. There was more than one enemy that he had to drive out of the land. Okay, I'm not going to drive them out all at once. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to, little by little, I've jumped ahead, but little by little, I'm going to drive them out. Verse number 29, go back to it. He's going to drive them all out. See, there's more than one thing. I'm going to preach to me. There's more than one thing in my heart that needs to be changed. Y'all's all going to have a, a voting on a pastor after a while. We don't need that heathen. But listen, I'm just trying to be plain. I'm trying to be real with you this morning. There's more than one thing in my heart that needs to be changed. Anybody come in perfect this morning? <laughs> if you would have said yes, I would have went, whoops, you just lied. So you're going to drive them out all at once. You do it little by little. But so, listen, there's one, more than one thing, and God does one thing at a time. Let me tell you something. I'm preaching to me. But I thank God that God did not show me everything that was wrong with me all at one time. Because I would have said, oh, wretched man that I am, I'm done. I give up. But little by little, one thing at a time, God shows and he brings you to something. Today, he might say, you know what? We're going to deal with your temper. Okay? The day that you have temper, anger on your mind and think, God's going to deal with this. Okay. All right. I eat my breakfast. Let me tell you something. Your breakfast will be cooked wrong. It starts off immediately. Your breakfast is cooked wrong. I like my, I don't like my bacon well done. Uh, Sister Becky likes hers. She won't just say well done. I want it burnt. I don't care if it's black. I want it burnt. I want my eggs fried with the yolk running. She wants hers scrambled. I mean, it's completely, look, I fix mine, bacon fix hers, and I fry eggs, and I scramble eggs. You, you understand what I'm saying? If the bacon's wrong and I've got anger, temper on my mind, everybody in here is thinking, man, I'd like to sit down at their breakfast table just a moment. This is a bit. Now listen, and I'm sitting there and it's wrong and I'm trying to let my anger be changed. All of a sudden, there's going to be an immediate trial. You're either going to get mad or you're going to like burnt bacon. Is that okay? Everybody with me? Do you understand? It ain't going to take long when Friday seems like a Monday and you're mad at everything. But the Lord has got to put it before you so you can sit there and be dependent upon the Lord. My Lord, I, I'm, I, I need you. I need your help. Change me. Help me to be what you need me to be. And let me tell you something. If we didn't get the process done that day, and this is Friday, guess what's going to come up Saturday? Well, we didn't quite accomplish it Saturday. Guess what's going to come up Sunday? You ever notice how Sunday morning on the way to church, loving Jesus and going to see all God's people got madder than fire. In the car on the way here. Sitting there, I couldn't believe she said that or done that. Hey, brother, how you doing, man? Good to see you this morning. You understand what I'm saying? Because we're, we're, we're being tested. We're being tried. 
Okay, I'm being tested. I'm being tried. And until the Lord, that's changed in our heart, he stays with that one thing. Let me tell you something. That's a blessing. Thank God that he stays with one thing. Now, verse number 30. He says, by little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. I'll tell you what, verse number 30, it means lightly. We can't handle everything at once. He's just going on one thing at a time. I want to come back to that. Go on to verse number 31. Verse number 31, I will set my bounds from before the Red Sea, even unto the Sea of the Philistines, and from the desert unto the river, and for... For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out from before thee. Here's what I want you to know about this, and I'm going to move along. If we look at this geographically, and if we learn uh, to study and look at things geographically also, we learn that all of these boundaries is north, south, east, and west. That's what these boundaries stand for. North, south, east, and west. That was their, their, their boundaries. You can only go this far here, get this far here, and you know, you understand what I'm saying. I want you to know this. As a believer, I have boundaries. I have boundaries. I'm not going to sit and commute with somebody and, and be in the circle where they're telling a joke that is ungodly. I have boundaries. Okay? The Holy Spirit also has boundaries to work in your heart. His boundaries is this. Your faith must be in Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary. Because he can't work outside of proper faith in Christ and what he did on the cross. Verse number 32. Verse 32 and then verse 33. Thou shalt make no covenant with them nor with their gods. And verse number 33. Thou shalt not dwell in the land lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, I will surely be a snare unto thee. Now I want to say this. Here's where we're at. Everybody with me? I ain't lost nobody. Here's where we're at. I'm being changed. The Lord's given me one thing at a time. And while I'm looking at that one thing and trusting God to change this one thing, here's what the Lord now tells them. He's going to teach them. To, I'm going to do it little by little, just lightly by lightly. And then he gets here. He says, do not, do not dwell in the land uh, uh, with their other gods and make sin against me. For if you serve their gods, they will be a snare. In other words, literally here, it wasn't just gods, but anybody that I drove out and said that you could have their land, you're not to dwell with them. In Joshua chapter number 14, this is what we find. They allowed the chariots of iron to remain. And when David, or when Joshua got them, I'm, I'm backing up, Caleb got there, I guess. I may have that wrong. He said, why are the chariots of iron still here? Well, we don't want to go down there and start a, a fight with the chariots of iron. And the Lord said, I told you that they can't stay. In other words, what Israel did is they were learning to live around it. They were learning to live around it. And guess what the chariots of iron did? They took the best land. They took the best, the, the best part of Israel, of Israel's promised land. And the Lord said they can't stay. And so they finally went down there, fought with the chariots of iron, and cast them, and made them leave, and, they, and took, took them out of the inhabitants of the land. Watch this. This is what, what we do. We have a hang-up or an addiction or a bondage. Maybe it's something in secret that nobody knows about. But it's a stronghold in our life. You can get quiet, but I'm preaching good. And you know what we do? We love God. We don't want to quit serving God. 
So we try to learn to live around it. Let it remain. I don't want to look, God, anything but that. I'm not ready for that fight. Let me tell you something. That is probably the chariots of iron, the land they dwell, was the best part of the land. Probably the part of your heart that you need to surrender for everything else needs to, in order for everything else to fall in place, is the part that we keep stepping around. Okay. So let me draw your attention to this, and I'm going to hush. Here's where they're at. He said, by little and little, I will bring you into the land. In uh, the first, when they crossed over into the promised land, give me just about five more minutes, and I promise I'll hush. They crossed over into the promised land. They crossed the Jordan River. The Lord has proven so much to them, and all of a sudden, they see Jericho walls that there's no way that they could tear them down. They get to the Jericho walls, their first great trial after crossing into the promised land. Their instructions was this. I want you to walk around, march around the Jericho walls one time for six days. Get up the first day and march around them, come back to camp. Second day, march around and get yourself back to camp. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth day, march around and you get back to camp. On the seventh day, I want you to march, and I want you to march seven times. And Joshua, when I tell you, you give the order for the priest, they go to blowing the trumpet, and just because that you're marching, then the walls of Jericho are going to come falling down. When they begin to march, look, there's a story in this. When they begin to march on the seventh day and the seventh time, here's the fact of the matter. There was nothing they could do to tear the walls down. There was nothing they could do to go any further. It was all by faith. The number seven is God's number for completion. Number seven is God's word for finished. Jesus Christ died on the cross, and when he gave up the ghost, he said, it is finished. If they believed in that finished work, and in order to believe, they had to keep on, keep on, keep on marching seven times on the seventh day. But if they believed into the finished work, the walls came traveling down. I want you to know this morning, we try to line up our time with God's time. I don't know where you're at in your trial, but I come to tell somebody this morning, by little and little, God will begin to change your heart. And if you're in a place where you've got to march, march on. If you need to march tomorrow, you march on. If you need to march the next day, you march on. But if you keep marching, God's word will hold true. You shall inherit. You shall be increased. And you shall win a victory that Jesus already paid for. Why do we march? I got to bring up this and I'm going to hush. Bring up uh, verse number 30 again, please. By little and little, I will drive them out from before thee. Watch this. Until you be increased and inherit the land. The land here is a type of our heart. We're trying to inherit different areas of our heart that needs to be changed. And the only way we can do that is by faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary. 
by faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary. And while we're waiting for Jesus to do that, we're here marching all the way around Jericho walls. You know what promise they had? Every place that the sole of your feet shall tread upon, I'm going to give that to you. Let me tell you something. Even if it's a chariot of iron, a stronghold, if you'll keep marching, and by that I mean you keep your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary, if you'll keep marching, God will give the increase, and you shall inherit. You shall inherit whatever part of your heart that you are up against today. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I love you today, and I thank you, God, for your grace and for your mercy and for your love. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that we've already felt here this morning, Lord, and the work that you're doing. I pray this morning, Lord, that my delivery, God, my giving of truth this morning would cause somebody to have a desire to either start their walk with you or to grow in you, Lord. You never meant for us to just be dormant. You never meant for us to be discouraged. You meant for us by faith to walk and by faith to march on, Lord. And your promise is that we shall inherit and you shall continue to give the increase. God, I ask in the name of Jesus this morning that you would move upon the hearts of every individual that is here today. I'm asking God, as Paul told them in Corinthians chapter 13, that we would examine ourselves whether we be in the faith or not, Lord. I pray, God, that you would begin to move upon hearts and lives. Is our faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary? Do we have a relationship with God? Are we change, being changed? Are we being transformed into the image of the Lord? This morning, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, priority is priority. I come to tell you, I'm going to make a short statement, but I'm going to make it with my whole heart. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what you're facing. God loves you this morning. And if you were the only person ever created and would have fallen out of relationship, he would have stepped off his throne. He would have came to this earth, and he would have gave his life just so he could be back in a relationship with you. This morning, first things first, I just got to ask you this morning, do you know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior? Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord? Do you know that you know without a doubt that your name is in the Lamb's book of life? This morning, I'm not going to embarrass you. I don't do that. But if you're here and you say, I've got some doubts in my heart, I've got some doubts in my life this morning. And I want you to pray for me because I want to know for sure. Would you slip your hand up and right back down real quickly? Thank you, God, for this hand, this hand, this hand. Thank you, God, for that hand and that hand. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord, for this hand. Would you slip your hand up and right back down? Come on, you say, I just want to make sure. Thank you, God, for that hand. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord, for this hand. Anybody else across the building, hands going up everywhere. Now's the time to make it right. Listen, Jesus loves you this morning. He loves you this morning. If you're here and you say, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure, but I want to be sure. Would you slip your hand up and right back down real quickly. 
Real quickly, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm just going to remember in my mind throughout the week of hands that went up, and I'm going to pray for you that the Lord would continue to move upon your life. One more opportunity. You say, that's me. I need you to pray for me. Would you slip your hand up and write back down real quickly? Real quickly, anybody. All right, this is what I want to do this morning. I want to pray a simple prayer before we move to our altar call. I want to tell you this morning that the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. You can believe that this morning. We can believe that scripture or we can believe no scripture because it's the Word of God. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. And though it may be simple, it's going to be powerful in your life this morning only if you believe it. Because simply saying a prayer doesn't do anything. But if we begin to believe that prayer, when our faith is in what Jesus done on the cross of Calvary, the Bible says that we will not be ashamed, but we shall be saved. And this morning, we've had several hands to go up across the building. But whether you raise your hand or not, I don't want to leave nobody out. I'm going to ask you, congregation, to help us pray this morning. Would you join with me as we lead people in a simple prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I am sorry for the way I've lived. I'm sorry for the things I've done. And I'm sorry for the sin in my life. But today, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe that what he did on the cross is sufficient to take away my sin. And right now, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to help me. I ask you to save me by the blood of Jesus. And right now, by faith, I believe I'm saved. I believe I'm washed. I believe I've been made whole by the blood of Christ. And I thank you for what you've just done in my life. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. And we ought to rejoice because there's angels in heaven that is rejoicing right now in the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, somebody ought to be happy this morning. If you were blessed by this message, you can find us on Facebook at Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Our contact for prayer or donations is by mail, Faith Worship Center, P.O. Box 296, Porsche, Arkansas, 72457. Through Messenger or PayPal, you can find that link on Facebook also. Thank you and God bless you and your family.